Peter, and then we're going to head back there next week. I just kind of want to, like, I don't want to say recap Easter, but in a way kind of recap Easter. Um, I said to you guys last week, and I meant this, honestly, the empty tomb is just the beginning, right? It's because of the empty tomb, everything matters, everything exists. And it's really our response to the empty tomb. And that's kind of what what I want to look at this morning along this theme, like we already talked about from Ruth of redemption, as we've read through Ruth, Ruth this last week, uh, the 8th and the 9th, I believe, were the days we were in Ruth. But this Redeemer, we see this picture of this Redeemer in Ruth and, and wanted to be part of a family. And, and, and so, honestly, that's exactly what we see uh, in John chapter 21, which is where we're going to be this morning. So if you'll turn with me there to John 21, verses 15 through 19. This is the story of Jesus and Peter. And ultimately, this is the story of redemption and then basically reaffirming or reassigning Peter this role. And I'm not going to sit up here and, and say, okay, well, he said it three times and he used the three different love words. And I mean, you've probably heard that sermon. Um, we could debate that all day long what he meant by using, Lord, do you love me? Yes, I love you all back. But I, but I want to really paint a picture for you. We don't know exactly when this story happened, right? We, don't, we know that Jesus rose from the dead and he, he spent 40 days before he went back to heaven. And so whether this was at the beginning of the 40 days or at the end of the 40 days, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We just know that somewhere along the way, Peter and Jesus have this moment. But I want, to, I want you guys to think about this for just a second. And like, as I thought through this story this week, this, this song by DC Talk just came into my head. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? And, and I thought about that because just put yourself in Peter's shoes for one minute, right? Peter was like one of Jesus' top dudes. If you had the term BFF back then, Peter was a BFF of Jesus, I mean, Peter, John, and, and, and James and John were constantly the guys that went off and did extra stuff with Christ. They were the three at the transfiguration. They were the three that he kept telling to stay awake in the garden. And, and remember, too, like, as, as they got the end of Jesus' life and, and Jesus says, hey, guys, I got to die. I have to go to the cross. Remember, Peter said, no, you don't. You're the Messiah. Like, what are you talking about? You don't have to die and his BFF, his best friend, said, get behind me, Satan. So, I mean, so you've got this kind of like, whoa, where did, where, did, where did that come from? Like, he just called me Satan. And, like, I'm, I'm a good guy. Like, we're like this. Like, we do everything together. Like, ouch. You know, so Peter has been, been called Satan by his Lord. And God says, I'm going to die. I have to die. Someone's going to betray you. Peter's like, I will never betray you. It's not me. In Peter fashion, I will go down with the sinking ship, Lord, you know I will. And Jesus says, no, no, you won't. You're actually going to betray me. In fact, the night when I need you the most, when I'm there in my most vulnerable time, when I'm on trial, you're actually going to deny me three times, Peter. Peter, I will never. And Peter goes, God, I'll never deny you. That, that's, that's ludicrous. That's crazy talk. I am all in. 
And we talked about it. We know the story. We looked at it on Monday, Thursday. We looked at it last week. They're in the garden. Judas shows up with the crew to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out the sword and tries to help. God again rebukes him and says, put that away. What are you doing? And he heals the person's ear immediately. And then we know that the disciples ran. They scattered. They took off. They abandoned Jesus. Somewhere along the way, we know that John and Peter turned around and went back. They had a little bit of an in and they were able to get into the, the place where Jesus was on trial. And Peter begins to deny his Lord. Right? First to the servant girl, then to the soldiers. I don't know what you're talking about. I've no, I don't even know the man. Never heard of him before. I, Galilean? I'm not Galilean. I have nothing to do with this man. And scripture says that rooster crowed the third time. And Jesus just looked at Peter. Could you imagine that look? Just again, put yourself in Peter's shoes. You were so on fire moments ago, hours ago. Lord, I will never abandon you. I will never deny you. I am all in. And you've just adamantly denied Jesus three times. And I'm guessing it got a little bit easier every time. It was probably a little awkward at first with the slave girl. But then when the soldier's accusing you and you think you might be on trial too, you might go to jail too, it got a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And you've just denied him a third time. And that rooster crows and your Savior who's on trial just looks at you. And your heart sinks, right? It says, Scripture says, the words just came flooding back to Peter and he ran away weeping. And that's the last we hear of Peter until the resurrection. We know that John was at the cross when it all happened. We know that Peter ran to the tomb. But Peter just ran away weeping. He had denied Christ. He had denied his brother. He he, he went against everything he said he was going to do. And then that day when Mary came and said the tomb is empty, we know Peter ran there with John. He was the first there. He looks in. He's confused. What's going on? We know that we looked at last week that that Jesus then appeared to the guys in the upper room and he told them to go. He said, I'm pouring out my spirit on you and you've got to go and tell others. And we know that over this next 40 days that Jesus appeared to the disciples multiple times. And in this, John has this beautiful little story of Peter. He's supposed to be the rock. He's supposed to be the, the one that the church is built on. Jesus had said that to the other apostles. And yet, Jesus and Peter have this awkward thing between them right now. It hasn't been resolved yet. Jesus is alive and Peter's happy for that and excited. But Peter also knows he denied Christ. And they haven't really talked about that moment yet. And John just gives us a picture of that. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. This moment... Where Jesus and Peter, where Jesus redeems Peter, tells Peter it's okay, and brings Peter back into the family. And again, I, like I said, I just, I just thought of that song. What if I stumble? What if I fall? How many of us have been Peter where we've stumbled and we've fallen? And yeah, Jesus didn't specifically look at us, but if he could, he would have. 
And we just sit there and we're like, what now? Am I okay? Am I not okay? Does he still love me? Like, what's going on? You have to admit, Peter had to be thinking these things. I mean, he knew what he did. He knew he denied Christ. And he and Christ hadn't had that conversation yet. I'm sure, I mean, Peter was a human being. I'm sure he was going, what now? What do I do? How do I fix this? That's exactly what happens in John 21. He doesn't have to do anything. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And again, I'm not here to debate which agape or philope or all the other loves. I know it's not philope. I was just trying to be funny. Okay. I'm not here to debate the different loves. We, we could do that. We could have that sermon. I just want to keep it simple. He simply says to him, Simon, do you love me more than these? In other words, Peter, you told me you did. You said you loved me more than anyone else. You said you were there. You would go down on a flaming ship with me. But yet you didn't. You abandoned me. You denied me. So I'm asking you, Peter, I'm asking you again, do you love me more than these? You claimed you did, but when you had a chance to prove it, you were gone. You left. You denied So, Peter, do you love me more than these? Jesus asks him. And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, Lord, you you know everything. You know that I love you. You know this to be true. I'm here right now, right? We're having breakfast together. Everything's a little awkward, but we're okay. We're healing this relationship. You know that I love you. And I love the next phrase. He doesn't chastise Peter. He doesn't tell Peter he's got to go to counseling. He doesn't tell Peter, well, you can't serve for a while because you screwed up. He simply looks at Peter and says, feed my lambs. If you truly love me like you say you do, if you truly, if I am your everything, if if, if this is what it's all about, then go do it. Go do the work. Show it by your actions. Show it by your love. Go feed my lambs. Maybe we should be restoring people more like Jesus did. I feel like people mess up and we put them in time out forever. We tell them they can't do this or they can't do this and they have to do this, 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 this. And in some cases that's true. Some places there has to be healing. Sometimes there has to be discipleship. Man, Jesus denied, or Peter denied Christ. I don't know how worse it gets than that. At his darkest hour. And all he simply says to Peter is, go feed my lambs. You love me? Then show me. Go feed my lambs. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He doesn't ask this this time if it's more than these. He just says, do you love me? Do you actually love me? Have you figured it out? Do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what's going on? You said you love me and you abandoned me. You said you love me and you denied me. So I need to know, do you love me, Peter? Are we on the same page? Are you all in? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, just responding the same way. Lord, you know that I love you. You, you understand my heart. You know my heart. He says to him again, then tend my sheep. Again, Peter, then show me. You've got to feed the sheep. You're going to have to take care of the sheep. You're going to have to tend the sheep. Your love is going to have to have action behind it. It can't be empty words. 
He's, he's setting Peter up. In other words, to say, it's time to step up your game, man. For the last three years, you said you're all in. You've said you're a zealot. You've said all these things. But I'm telling you, the time's coming where you're actually going to have to do it. The rubber's going to meet the road. You're going to have to do what you claim that you love and want to do. You've got to feed my sheep. You've got to tend my sheep. He's beginning to restore Peter, the rock, the one that the church will be built on. He's letting Peter know what's coming. And he said to him a third time. Now, Peter was not a dumb man. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to them a third time, do you love me? And Peter knew. Peter got it. He had denied Christ three times. And Jesus is coming back to him three times and saying, do you love me? Are you all in? Because what I'm about to ask of you is going to be really, really, really hard. And I need to know that you love me. I need to know that I am the most important thing in your life, Peter, because otherwise this will not work. And it says Peter's grieved. He understands what Jesus is asking. He gets it. He hurt Christ. He denied Christ. And now he's being hurt. He's grieved that Jesus would even question his love and compassion and devotion. And he makes it pretty clear. He says, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. So you notice the other two times he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's how he responded. But this time he let God know that he understood. Lord, you know everything. In other ways, in that sentence, in that response, you know everything and you know that I love you. He essentially said, Lord, you're omniscient. You're God. You're Savior. You're the king of the world. You just proved that. You're back alive. You know everything. You know my heart. That's what Peter was saying to him. Yeah, I stumbled and I fell and I screwed up. But Lord, you know everything and you know my heart. You know I'm all in. It's this beautiful exchange between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus just says to him again, feed my sheep. Peter, I'm going to use you. You're going to form the church You're going to feed sheep. You're going to tend sheep. I need to know that you're in. I need you to go and do this work, Peter. I've prepared for you. He's like, I've forgiven you. And these simple phrases, he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. He's letting Peter know you're forgiven. You're still loved. You're redeemed. You're restored. Go do what you said you were going to go do. Go do what I prepared for you. Yeah, sure, you stumbled. We all stumble. But I still love you and I still care about you and I still need you to feed my sheep. That's why I called you, Peter. I said you were going to be a fisher of men and now I need you to go do exactly that. And then he drops his bomb on Peter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. And carrier, where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. He didn't say to Peter, awesome, 
I'm glad you're in. I'm glad you're going to feed my sheep now because you're an apostle and because you're one of mine. Life will be perfect and it'll be great. and You'll have no troubles. And it's going to all work out. You're going to be rich. You're going to get old. It's going to be awesome. He says, Peter, you're going to go where you don't want to go. You're going to suffer for the kingdom. You're going to suffer for me. I've asked you three times, do you love me? Because I want you to know how your life is going to end. You are going to die for me. When you use the phrase, you will stretch out your hands, everybody knew what that meant. It was another way of saying you were going to be crucified. Jesus foretells Peter right here in this moment, as he's calling him to serve, as he's calling him to be the top apostle, so to speak, to build the church. He says, and by the way, you're going to be crucified. So do you love me? You're going to go places you don't want to go. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Do you love me? You don't get a chance again to deny me. You don't get a chance again to run away. I'm redeeming you. I'm restoring you. I'm letting you know the journey before you is hard. And at some point in time, it's going to cost you everything. So do you love me? He tells Peter how it's going to end, what it's going to look like. And then he simply ends it with the same two words that he began everything with, with Peter. He just says, follow me. Peter, if you love me like you say you do, I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to tend my sheep. I've told you how it's going to end. I've told you how it's going to die. Now the choice is yours. Peter, I love you. I've redeemed you. I've restored you. I've forgiven you. I simply need to know, will you follow me? This is how it's going to end, Peter. You have two choices right now as we're eating breakfast on the beach. There's the path over there. It leads to comfort, leads to retirement, leads to easy fishing. And then there's the path, excuse me. And then there's this path over here. It means you're going to feed some sheep. It's going to get messy. Eventually someone's going to have to dress you and take you out for crucifixion. You're going to lose everything for me. You're going to eventually die for me. Are you willing to follow me even unto death? Is essentially what he's asking Peter. And Peter was was all in. He knew. He knew the cost. He knew what it meant. He knew what it looked like. And even though he had denied Christ, and even though he ran away, something had changed in him. And he was all in. And he's told Jesus three times, Lord, you know that I love you. Yeah, I made a mistake. I screwed up. But you know that I love you. I'm, I'm in. Before, I, I, I know I talked out of my mouth, and I was really excited. But he goes, I'm, I'm serious this time. I'm, I'm all in. Lord, you know everything. And I'm willing to take this path. I'm willing to take this journey. And I love all that Jesus simply says to him is, follow me. That's how he started his ministry with these guys, right? As he walked along the side, as he walked along, the, the, he walked along these fishermen and they're fishing, he says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He began three years prior to this just by simply saying, follow me. 
And again, if, you, if you've studied history, you know that was a phrase that all young Jewish boys wanted to hear. Right? The goal in the Jewish culture was not to be a carpenter, was not to be a fisherman, was not to be a low job. The goal was to be able to follow a rabbi. You wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, and everyone went to school. And I know I've explained this before, but I'm just going to refresh you guys. Everybody went to school. Everybody learned the Torah. Everybody learned the Old Testament. And along the way, there was cuts, right? And you either made the cut and you kept going, or you didn't make the cut because you weren't good enough. And that's how the Jewish culture worked. The people that weren't good enough went home and learned to trade by their dads, by their fathers. And the ones that were good enough continued on to be followers, disciples of these rabbis. It's exactly what Saul, or otherwise known as Paul, was. He was one of the best of the best. He made the cut. And he was a disciple of one of the most known rabbis of all time. But these twelve, they didn't make the cut. They weren't considered good enough by the world. They had been sent home and they were doing the trade. And this teacher, this rabbi, comes along. The words that they had longed for at 12, 13, and 14, at graduation time, to simply hear Caiaphas and others say that simple phrase of follow me, because that's exactly what they would have done. As they graduated from the school and the age, the rabbis would have come up to the ones that were the best and were the good enough. And all they would have said is, follow me. And that meant you had arrived, you had made it. You were following this priest, you were following this rabbi. So they knew what it meant when Jesus said, follow me. They understood. This guy has some authority. This guy's a teacher. This guy's a rabbi. He literally just told us to follow him. We're leaving our fishing nets and we're following him. And so for three years he taught them and he trained them and he discipled them just like they would have done under a priest or a rabbi. And then on top of it, he proved who he was. He died and he rose again. He proved scripture. He proved the Old Testament. He proved, like Peter had already said, you know everything. He was omnipotent. At this point in time, he could just appear wherever he wanted to appear. Didn't even need to walk through doors anymore. And so he starts and ends his ministry by simply telling these 11 people, and specifically in this story, Peter, follow me. It's all you need. It's all you need. You just got to follow me. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the King of Kings. I am your refuge. I am your strength. Every psalm you've memorized, every passage of Isaiah you've memorized, everything the Scripture says about me, it is who I am because I am who I am. So follow me. And it was enough. He restores Peter. He redeems Peter. He doesn't chastise Peter. He doesn't criticize Peter. He doesn't say, wow, you weren't good enough. Wow, you screwed up. Wow, you chopped the dude's ear off in the garden. I had to fix that mess. Uh, You left me. You abandoned me. He simply said, if you love me like you say you do, then follow me. And that's what Jesus wants. He just wants us to follow him. That's why I said last week, the empty tomb is just the beginning. Because the empty tomb leaves us with this choice. What will we do? Will we simply praise that it was empty? Or will we follow Him? And that's going to mean a hundred different things for all the different people in the room. 
It's not going to be the same for me. It's not going to be the same for Myron. It's not going to be the same for Chris. It's not going to be the same for Marvin. It's going to look different for every single one of us because we all have different gifts. We're all different parts of the body. He simply wants us to follow him. Follow me, he says. And of course, Peter being Peter turns and sees the other disciple. Lord, what about him? What about, what about John? What about that guy? And Jesus reminds him, just like I just said, doesn't matter about that guy. What I have for John, I have for John. But what I have for Peter, I have for Peter. That's why I just said it's going to look different for every single one of us as we follow him. We're going to go different places. We're going to do different things. It's going to look differently. He says, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said, if it is my will that he will remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, stop worrying about the other guys. Stop worrying about everyone else. Stop comparing yourself to everyone else. I just need you to follow me. Peter, you follow me. And that's the same message he's giving to all of us. You follow me. Stop worrying about everybody else. Stop comparing yourself to everyone else. I just need you to follow me. And you guys are the you and I'm the you. And Jesus is simply saying that to each one of us. It doesn't matter about everyone else. Don't worry about everyone else. I just need you. What is absolutely amazing with God is that there are 8 billion people in the world. And yet when he comes to a relationship, it's just one-on-one. Talk about the ultimate multitasker. Jesus can multitask 8 billion relationships at one time. And when he's dealing with us in that one-on-one, all that matters is us in that one-on-one situation with Christ. It doesn't matter about anyone else because all Jesus cares about is you and me when he's talking to us and that we follow him. And he'll worry about the other people. We just have to do our job and follow him, whatever that may look like. So in saying this, there became the rumor that John would never die. Yet John reminds us, Jesus did not say this. He simply said, if it's my will that he remains, what is it to you? In other words, Jesus was saying, look, it's my way. My words are my words. My ways are my ways. My thoughts are my thoughts. I'm in control. I am controlling this whole universe. Don't worry about everyone else. Just focus on you. And I love verse 25. John just reminds us one last time. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It just blows me away. You know, I, I, we read the Gospels and we're like, wow, Jesus did a lot of miracles. And yet John lets us know, Jesus did so much stuff that if we tried to write it all down, the world couldn't even, can, couldn't even hold the books. I mean, every single library in the whole entire world would just be full of everything that Jesus did. We get just this little glimpse of Jesus' life. And honestly, the book of John, 50% of it is the last week of his life. But ultimately, Jesus wanted us to know through this story of Peter, he doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care if you've stumbled. He doesn't care if you've messed up. If you love him, then follow me. If you love him, 
then go and feed and tend the sheep. In other words, he's saying, let your faith have action. Like James says, we can't have faith without works, and we can't have works without faith. The two must work together. They have to go hand in hand. If you have deeds without faith, then it's just religion. And if you have faith without deeds, then it's just religion. Faith and deeds go hand in hand. And that's exactly what he says in this story with Peter. Restoring Peter, redeeming Peter, and letting Peter know that he is forgiven, he's loved, he's appreciated. And now, Peter, go and do what I've taught you to do. And that's the message I just want to leave with us this morning. We are redeemed. We are loved. We are restored. It doesn't matter about our past. It doesn't matter where we screwed up. Because Jesus loves us exactly as we are. And he's asking us to go and feed the sheep. He's asking us to follow him. Because he died on the cross to redeem us once and for all. For all the crap in our life. And all the junk in our life. And now he's simply saying, look. You say you love me, then show it. You, show, you say that love me, then go do the work that I've asked you to do. Lord, we just thank you for this message. God, we thank you for this simple story in Scripture. God, we thank you that you love us. God, that you died for us, that you redeemed us. And that you show us that even your best friend who denied you and abandoned you, you still loved and restored and redeemed and invited him to follow you the same way that you're inviting us. So God, let us walk away from our past. Let, let us walk away from the sin that has defined us. Lord, let us walk in your light. God, walk in your footsteps as your children. God, to simply follow you wherever you may be taking each and every one of us. In your name we pray. Amen.